Well, it'd be great if you had your Bible open to Luke chapter 1. Verse 26 through 45. It was a cold January morning. It was the middle of morning rush hour at approximately 8 a.m. at one of the busiest metro stations in Washington, D.C. When a middle-aged man wearing a baseball cap showed up with his violin in hand. He opened up his violin case, picked up his old violin, put it to his shoulder, and then he swiveled his violin case on the floor round so that passers-by would drop in a few pennies. For the next 45 minutes, he played six classical pieces of music sublimely. Hundreds of commuters heard them as they passed by. But the striking thing was this. Not many people were interested at all. And sadly, not many people realized that the one who was playing was Joshua Bell, one of the world's most famous and gifted solo violinists. He was playing on his priceless Stradivarius built in 1713. Just days before he pulled this stunt, he'd filled the Boston Symphony Hall and tickets cost up to £100. This was a social experiment to see if people would stop and appreciate good music. It was estimated that a 1,000 people passed them by in those 45 minutes. 27 people stopped to listen for any, length, for, for any significant length of time. And what's striking is the most interested listener was a little toddler. In the 45 minutes, he collected 42 pounds. 20 pounds of that was someone who recognized who it was. So a thousand people heard one of the greatest musicians in the world play, and yet most of them did not even bother to stop and listen to the best of music. Following the, the social experiment, it went on social media and everyone was intrigued by the responses and many people wrote, this is a sorrowful tale of the fact that we modern people were just far too busy, too preoccupied, too uncurious and simply disinterested in the best that music has to offer. And you know, I find a striking parallel with that, with that social experiment with the reality of Christmas. You know, as many of us go about our daily lives, as we walk through shopping malls, we hear the songs of Jesus, of carols. Some of us will attend our child's nativity play. Others of us will go to carol services. And yet, even still, we're too busy, too preoccupied, too uncurious, perhaps simply disinterested to hear the best of what God has to offer. His son. And it's for that reason we, we started this Advent series last Sunday evening where we're going to just walk through Luke chapter 1 so that we can hear and pay attention to who Jesus is and why he came into this world. Luke chapter 1 enables us to come face to face with the God who became man in Christ. Now, as I said when we read the passage, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 has so much in common with the verses that we're looking at this morning. But the striking difference 
is Zechariah, when told good news from angel Gabriel, did not believe. Whereas Mary, as we'll see this morning, she did believe what she was told. Now, last week, we kind of just walked through the passage. We had five headings that I didn't really make clear, but I'll make them clear this week. The first thing Luke does is he introduces us to Mary and Joseph. The second thing that Luke does is, the second thing we have is Gabriel's greeting of grace. Then Mary's initial response. And then Gabriel's explanation, followed by Mary's final response, which is rejoicing in the goodness of God. So Luke introduces us to Mary and Joseph, Gabriel's greeting, Mary's initial response, Gabriel's explanation, Mary's final response. So first of all, look at how Luke introduces us to Mary and Joseph. First thing we're told in verse 26 is six months have passed since Gabriel had visited Jerusalem, and now we're told that he was sent by God to a city in Galilee, and that city was Nazareth. Now, Jerusalem and Nazareth could not be more different. Jerusalem is like the 21st century equivalent of London, and Nazareth is the 21st century equivalent of Luton, right? A backwater town, sorry if you're from Luton, a backwater town that people make fun of. The first century joke in the street was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Luke tells us in verse 27 that that Gabriel was sent specifically to a nobody. You know what's the most striking thing about verse 27? It's how long it takes Luke to tell us the name of the virgin. A virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. You know what's even more striking? He doesn't tell us Mary's family tree. We know Zechariah was of the tribe of Abijah. We know Elizabeth was of the house of Aaron. We know that Joseph was the house of David. What about Mary? You see, Luke's point is to say this. She was a nobody. Twice he tells us she was a virgin. And she was betrothed. And all the scholars who have studied the first century history know that most most young females were married between the ages of... 12 and 15. So this girl was a teenager. She was a peasant Palestinian. She was betrothed to be married to a carpenter. Now, humanly speaking, this is the last place on earth we'd ever expect God to send his messenger to show up in. This is the last person on earth, humanly speaking, we'd expect God to show up to. A teenager from Nazareth. But remember, this is a chapter full of surprises. Like We, we get that Gabriel showed up in Jerusalem to a pious priest who was praying in the temple. That makes sense. But to a young girl who's a peasant? From a nowhere town? And if Luke impresses anything upon us about God, it's this. God's ways are not our ways. He loves to take human wisdom, earthly wisdom, and turn it on its head. He loves to exalt the humble, and God loves to humble the exalted. I don't want you to miss this, though. 
One of the things we see in chapter 1, just, just now that we're in verse 26 and verse 27, is that God in his plan for redemption uses people from all different kinds of backgrounds and who are all at different ages and stages in life. So last week he used a couple who were nearing the end of their lives. And this week we see that he's using a couple who were at the beginning of their lives. Last week he used a couple who were from near Jerusalem. This week he's using a couple who are from Nazareth. And if you're here this morning, you need to know this. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. God delights to use people just like you. And twice we're told, as I said, that Mary was a, a virgin. She was betrothed to a man called Joseph. So if you're to try and envisage what season of life Mary found herself in, she was in those days where she was, daily, day, she was daydreaming daily about her upcoming wedding day and her future with Joseph and perhaps a prospect of having children together. It was that exciting season of any young soon-to-be bride. A stressful season of waiting. But here in verse 28, we read she gets the biggest surprise of her life because Gabriel greets her with words of grace. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, none of us expect to come face to face with an angel. Zechariah didn't when he met the angel in the temple. Mary certainly didn't. But she also never expected to hear this angel say, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. See that word favor there? The root word in the original is charis, which means grace. The reason Gabriel comes with this greeting is because God is gracious and he wants to lavish his undeserved, unmerited, unearned love on Mary. This was all because of God's grace and it was God's grace that troubled Mary. Look at verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. She couldn't make sense of it. Why her? Why was she a recipient of God's amazing love, of his unspeakable favor, of his exceptional love, of his overwhelming kindness? She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. You need to note this. Mary was one of the, is, is one of the most contemplative individuals we meet in the whole of Scripture. She might be a teenager, but she's a very thoughtful teenager. And she thought deeply about the word of God. And as she heard this blessing, she was troubled by it. She tried to get a grip of God's grace, but she couldn't make sense of it. And if you're a Christian here this morning, and you've received God's salvation, you, in other words, you're a recipient of God's grace, you're the same. Why did God love you? Why did God love me? We didn't deserve it. We've done nothing to merit it. In fact, we've done everything to demerit his love. It was because God is gracious and he loves whom he loves freely. Second thing that Mary was going to have to reckon with 
and that all of you and I as well need to reckon with is God knows us. God had taken notice of Mary. God's presence was with Mary. And God had a great plan for Mary. You need to know that God knows you if you're a Christian and if you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian, God's presence is with you. If you're not a Christian, you can't escape the presence of God. And you need to understand that God has a plan for you. What I love about the Gabriel is, as a messenger of God's grace, he, he understood where Mary was at. And so following his greeting, and, and no doubt reading the, the troubled look on Mary's face, he, he, he reassures her, and he reminds her. He reassures her by saying, don't be afraid, Mary. There's no need to be afraid. And then he says to her, for you have found favor with God. He reminds her of God's grace. See, when we can't get a grip of God's grace, one of the things we just need to do is to rest in God's grace. His love for us. No matter how hard it is to believe that he would love us, we need to rest in it. Now, in verse 31 onwards, Gabriel begins unpacking his greeting. And honestly, this is the hardest news for anyone to, to take in, never mind Mary. Mary was given by God the privilege of all privileges. This, this <laughs> makes the privilege that Zechariah had to serve in the temple look like nothing. She was given the privilege of being the mother of the Messiah. I want you to notice, right? Mary is the mother of God. See, it says in, this, in, in, in Elizabeth's response to her, you know, why have I been given this privilege to be honored with a visit of the mother of my Lord? See the word Lord there? That's the Old Testament word that's used 6,000 times to mean God. Mary has the privilege of all privileges. She's the mother of the Messiah. And this is what the angel makes known to her. We're going to just work through it very quickly but let me explain it as we go along. Verse 31, Mary was informed, and behold, you will conceive in your womb. Remember who she is. She's a virgin. You will conceive. This, this, this young girl knows scripture. She's thoughtful about scripture. We're going to see that tonight when we study our song together. She would have known Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, therefore the Lord will give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Here, Mary, right, right at the outset of Gabriel's explanation, is told that she's to be the mother of the Messiah, and this is going to be a miraculous birth. He says, you, you singular, shall conceive. Joseph will play no part. This is going to be a miraculous birth. And Mary, don't worry, you don't need an ultrasound to find out what gender it is. It's a boy. You don't need baby books with baby names. His name will be Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. This baby is going to be the savior of sinners. Mary, you don't need to worry about how he's going to turn out. He's going to be great. His greatness is, yes, based on what he will do, but also on who he is. He will be called 
son of the most high, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. How do you take that in? She's a teenager from nowhere. We don't know anything about her parents in, in Luke's account here. And yet she's given the most marvelous news. She's going to be the mother of the Messiah. The Bible begins with sin and death coming into this world through a woman called Eve. God promised Eve, from your offspring shall one come who will crush the serpent. From Eve's offspring came Mary, through whom life and immortality was born, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring us life and immortality. That's why she's called favored. That's why she's called blessed. I know that Mary as a young teenager would have been daydreaming all the time about her upcoming marriage and perhaps dreaming about kids. But never, never would she have entertained the thought that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. So we've looked at uh, Luke introducing us to Mary and Joseph. We've, we've considered Gabriel's greeting of grace. Now we get Mary's response. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now this question, you have to admit, sounds a lot like Zechariah's question. But it's not the same. You see, Zechariah's question was asked in skeptical unbelief, whereas Mary's question is asked in wonder-filled faith. She's not asking, can you do it? She's asking, how will you do it? As Zechariah's question emerged from a heart of unbelief, hence the reason the consequence was he was made mute. Mary does not receive a rebuke from Gabriel. In fact, Gabriel answers her question. Verse 35, the angel answered, here's Gabriel's explanation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You understand that the, the incarnation, the, the virgin birth, it is a miracle. And it comes about by the work of the Holy Spirit. And I have to be honest, right? When it comes to studying the things of God, we've got to remember, right? He's the creator, we're the created. He's infinite, we're finite. And in many ways, we're lost in awe and wonder, love and praise at this. Let me be clear. The Muslims blasphemously believe that God impregnated Mary. It's not what this text says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Most High will overshadow you. Do you remember the last, one of the first times you ever read about the Holy Spirit in Scripture? It's Genesis chapter 1. Hovering over the face of the formless creation. All we know, and we know also from the, with the help of the letter of Hebrews, is the Holy Spirit created Jesus, a body prepared for Jesus in Mary's womb. And yes, this is mysterious and mind-blowing. Joseph played no part. God did it all for the one who is holy, the Son of God. My, my, my professor, Don McLeod, is probably, who passed away earlier this year, I think he wrote a book on the person of Christ. If, if you've not bought it, buy it. Just read the chapter on the virgin birth. It's the best thing you'll ever read. 
One of the things he says is it's no surprise that at the door of the New Testament, we are greeted with the miracle of all miracles. Because if you can't accept this miracle, you'll never accept the miracles that follow. But then he says this, we need to get our bearings. The virgin birth became a reality for the same reason as there came to be a world in the first place. The universe is only there because God made it. Remember, the Holy Spirit played a key role in that. And when the Gospels report that Jesus was born of a virgin, they do so without a trace of embarrassment because it seemed to them perfectly obvious that the power that created, that, that the, power that created the universe was more than capable of producing a miracle baby. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God has said, let there be the child Jesus, and there was the child Jesus. You might be hearing you're dead skeptical as you hear about this virgin birth. But know this, with God, nothing is impossible. If God created this world, can he make a miracle baby Jesus? Of course he can. In fact, God's signature is the impossible. And remember, this this miracle child is the eternal God, the one without beginning, very begotten, the one uh, begotten, not created, very God of very God, light of light, as we confess in the Nicene Creed. And you may ask the question, so so why did he have to be born of a virgin? Why did he have to be a miracle baby? He had to be God to supply for us a righteousness that none of us could ever achieve, keeping God's law perfectly. And he had to be man to save us. He had to be like one of us to supply the sacrifice that we owe to God. The only mediator between God and man is the God-man, Christ Jesus. And I, I need you to see this, right? This is amazing grace. The creator was in this moment becoming a creature for the creature's sake. This is what Mary's told by the angel Gabriel. Now listen to her response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. (laughs) Zechariah didn't even say that. And he was a minister of the word. This teenager from Palestine. I'm a servant of you, Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, you know the thing that really blows my mind is Mary is the first person we read about in the New Testament to accept Jesus in his own terms. She literally accepts Jesus into her own life. Knowing that this decision would bring for the rest of her life consequences, lifelong shame, a tarnished reputation, suffering of the imaginable kind because she would have to watch the son that she gave birth to, she raised and nurtured, die on a cross, the most shameful death. I've studied this passage loads of times and I think every time I've studied it, I skim over the fact that Mary, by saying, I am the servant of the Lord, was saying yes to shame, 
a tarnished reputation and pain. Whatever you will is for me, let it be. In many ways, Mary becomes for us the model of faith. As we hear God's good news of grace, our response in faith is God, yes and amen, whatever you desire. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ who, when they profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it meant for them that they would be persecuted, even imprisoned. Many of us, we don't suffer. Our reputations don't take a huge hit because we've come to faith. But for Mary, it was lifelong shame and a tarnished reputation. In fact, one of the upshots was Joseph nearly divorced her because of her decision. Now, what happens next, and this is where we're going to end with, is the most incredible thing. And I was speaking with Jan and someone else this weekend, and, and honestly, I, I, was, I was nearly standing on my study desk with amazement. You know, when God reveals something new in his word that you've never seen before, this is one of those moments. <laughs> like, this is incredible. Gabriel departs. Where does Mary go in haste? To Joseph? Nope. But to Elizabeth. Why Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth's her cousin. And Gabriel did tell her in verse, you see that in verse 36, Gabriel said to Mary, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now remember what I said about Mary. She's a thoughtful individual. She hears that her big cousin, or her auntie, we don't know, Elizabeth, Is six months with child, six months pregnant. And this thoughtful girl in haste makes a run for the hill country of Judah. And, and by the way, I don't have a map. There's a map at the back of your Bible. She's running a long distance. She's going a great way. Why? Well, we don't know. But what would you do if you had an elderly aunt? who was six months pregnant, and a husband that cannot speak. <laughs> You'd go and help. You'd go and love and serve. And she goes, and, and, and honestly, this is providence, and it's providence of the best king. This is God's perfect plan, and I love it when his plan comes together because it's incredible. This is what I saw in the study. They meet. And in Mary meeting Elizabeth means that the two children of promise, John the Baptist and Jesus meet for the first time. And John, whose calling, whose life's calling and mission and purpose it will be to prepare the way for Jesus, responds in the womb by leaping for joy. He knows that he's in the presence of Mary, who is now with child. And he leaps for joy. Because he knows the rescuer, the deliverer, the savior has come. But that's not it. That's not it. Elizabeth sees Mary and she responds by saying, blessed are you among women. She, she, she encourages Mary who's just been given this unbelievable news. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
She's so overcome that Mary's come to visit her that she says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, the mother of the Messiah, the mother of God should come to me? Now this is her little cousin or this is her niece. And she's so overcome and she's, she's giving thanks. She tells Mary what's happened in the woman's side. John has leaped for joy. And she says, blessed. She, she pronounces a beatitude, the benediction. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She knows that Mary responded to Gabriel's news in a way that her husband didn't even respond with belief. <laughs> now, this is the thing that made me want to stand in my desk. This is, this is God's perfect plan. This is, this is God knowing every details of our life and using them for his purposes. Remember, Mary's young and she's at the beginning of her life. Elizabeth is old and nearing the end of her life. We said last week that Elizabeth's life was one of suffering because she's childless and she was a Jewess and she didn't have a child. And that meant that in that shame and honor culture where children were everything, she suffered reproach. In fact, her testimony in verse 25 was she was rejoicing in the goodness of God because God had taken away her reproach. It is no coincidence, but it is a God incident that this young woman who's about to begin a life of shame and suffering should spend the next three months in fellowship with a woman whose entire life was shame and suffering. God brings people into our life and across our paths always for a purpose. Sometimes for good and sometimes for ill. But it's not, but it's always in God's divine economy when he gives us people who are really meaningful and who become close and dear to us. It's often for our good. And that's what we see here. I was preaching a sermon once and it was, it was in John's gospel and I said, and I didn't say it, the Bible said it. People said to Jesus, who is your father? And after the sermon, there's a Puritan in our congregation Mrs. Gillian. And she said to me, Andy, when you were preaching, the thought came to me, or the thought had come to her before this, but the thought came to her that if Jesus was receiving this scorn because of the fact that he was fatherless, and there's whole questions about who his dad was, what must Mary's life have been like to be on the receiving end of those jibes and those jabs? Suffering that sort of reproach. And that's the thought of a Puritan, because that's thinking deeply about God's word. But there's a Mary for you. But listen, God's beautiful providence is he gave Mary the greatest auntie or the greatest big cousin. Someone who could comfort her and prepare her for the life that lay ahead. And, and, and this is why I really stood in my desk. Because God's given you to one another. Your story, he knows it all. Your life circumstances, he knows it all. He wants to, in his redemptive purposes, recycle it all and use it for the good of others. God's going to give you friendships and has given you friendships in this church. 
Never take them for granted. They're for your good. But ultimately, they're for his glory. Now, it would be wrong of me if I finished this sermon and you left here thinking the big deal was Mary. The big deal ain't Mary. The big deal's Jesus. The big deal is the one to whom she was giving birth to. The Son of God became man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. That is the most glorious news ever. And Mary was the one who said, I'm the Lord's servant. Amen. So let it be. Let's pray. God, we bless you because you have so richly blessed us. You've blessed us with the Messiah. We praise you on this side of your work, giving him to us, of him becoming man, of him living the life we could not live, of dying the death that we should have died, of been raised from the dead, ascending to your right hand and ever living to intercede in our behalf. We praise you for him. We come this morning and we acknowledge how blessed Mary is. All generations know that she was shown favor among all women to be the mother of the Messiah. We do not worship her. We do not pray to her. But we thank you, God, for her. We thank you for her example, how she was thoughtful regarding your word. We thank you for her faith and her obedience to grace. We pray that we would learn and imitate from this young woman. And we realize, Lord, that you are the God who gifted her a friend, a friend to encourage her, and a friend who had a story that could help her. And God, we would pray that in this church family, that you would give us friends to encourage us, to build us up, to bring us comfort when we go through times of suffering and trials. God, you are so, so good. Your plan of redemption was so great and your plan of redemption of this whole world and for our lives is even is just as great. And so we pray that as we live for you in the here and now, we would serve you and obey you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.